tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads from over 200 countries and your number one source in after-show entertainment. AfterBuzz TV, the destination for TV superfans. Producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows. Interviewing celebrities and showrunners. And bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Hello, Nick fans! Welcome to the Nick After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. We're talking about Season 1, Episode 3, The Busy Flea. I'm Matt Lieberman, and joining me as always, Marissa Serafini is here. Hello. And Oriana Leo is here. Hi, guys. And we have a very, very special guest in the studio with us today, Jack Emil. Uh, the co- the co-creator and writer of the show of the Nick. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. I just want to point out you forgot also uh, executive producer and executive I mean, producer of the show. No, I and yeah, yeah just because I know that you care. Would you? I know. <laughs> Are there any other accomplishments you'd like us to name up top? I'm a hell of a dad. Okay, <laughs> and he's a hell of a dad. I don't know if we can get that in the Chiron now that we've already started. Uh, but again, another fantastic episode of this show. I love as we continue to build out the world and get to know these people. I'm so deeply, deeply compelled, especially by Dr. Edwards, at least here at the outset. Um, it, I, I have to pay. I have to pay you and Michael such an incredible compliment because I was so. I was so very worried that with the situation that you put him in at the end of the pilot, um, that he would spend several episodes in this sort of obsolescence where, you know, he wasn't permitted to be a part of surgery and he'd ask to be a part of surgery and then nothing would happen and then we'd just get frustrated. But he is the most active character on the show. He, he is furious in his activity. Well, I, I think that what we wanted to do with Algernon was to hopefully at least fairly, first of all, represent how difficult it must have been for an African-American at that time to, mm-hmm. to even remotely get their due. I mean, we're 55 years away from Rosa Parks. We are 48 years away, 47, 8, 48 years away from Jackie Robinson being allowed to throw a ball with white people. Right. So we wanted to really isolate him at first because he's he's someone, you know, they have... He, you know, I mean, what they often say about, you know, minorities or women in the workplace is they have to be twice as good to be considered half as good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that what we wanted was, yes, he's that good, but he also has that thing, which is he has to ply his trade. Yeah. And I think one of the things we really loved about the character was that he could almost, you know, people said to me, well, wait a second, he's, so he's running a clinic in the back? I said, but you don't get it. African-Americans are invisible to these people. Mm-hmm. And that's what I, I loved about the idea of taking him in down there. And, well, how has he not been discovered? Well, he hasn't been discovered. Because no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> right. These people come knocking on the door. They say, I'm here for the washing job. And this stream of African-Americans keeps coming in the back door to get treatment. Yeah. And what I think what he loved was that he can get away with it because that's the world that they live in. And and. You know, it's almost as if you don't, you know, that you can say anything in front of the help because they're invisible. Right. Kind of idea. And so we thought that was great. And so to give this guy this need to be a healer, this need to ply his trade, this need to help his people mm-hmm. and to say and, – and sort of an arrogance – that says, I'm so good that even if you went to another person in a Negro infirmary, it doesn't matter. You need to be with me because I'm that good. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the best that there is. And it's I, – I love that you bring up – 
uh, the amount of time before you know even Jackie Robinson throws mm-hmm. a ball. You said forty-seven years. That puts it it, well, it sounds like half a lifetime to us, but as we said in the pilot, that's roughly the lifespan. That's a life expectancy of a man at that time is forty-seven years, roughly. And we're thirty-five years from emancipation. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about that, thirty-five years is nothing. I mean, thirty-five years is the Reagan administration. It's a and, drop in the well, yeah from, from 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 us. I think right. Yeah. You know, so oh, time since the Reagan since, yeah. administration, not a thirty. 35 year administration. No, yeah. We, well, for some of us, it felt that way. But, um, but uh, you know, the, the point being that, that you realize that this, this, this section of time, mm-hmm. it, it, there was a level of difficulty. And if we had even, you know, no pun intended, whitewashed it or, 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 or sold it short, mm-hmm. um, I think it would have been a real disservice to the people who came after to understand what they went through in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and in Ferguson. I mean, yeah. you know, so we wanted to be truthful. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he walks in the hospital and, and Thackeray had said, I want that guy. That's not the show we're doing. That's not the way people were. That's not the way they worked. No. Sure. That's not the way they lived. And, you know, African Americans were seen in the media, in their version of the media, whether it was on Broadway or whether it was in minstrel shows or whether it was in, um, you know, uh, even, you know, picture postcards or books. They were seen as either childlike or they were seen as savages. Mm-hmm. They were seen as people who needed to either be corralled by white people or they needed to, to be guided by mm-hmm. white people. And so the idea of this brilliant man walking in the door and saying, I'm this good, and everyone's saying, who, who cares? Yeah. I don't care that you're that good. No one, I don't care. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, you know, great. Keep your scalpel in your pocket because if anyone saw you coming toward me with a scalpel, they would be nervous. Right. Gallinger certainly doesn't care. I mean, Gallinger's getting his wife, who barely knows even just a smattering of French, enough to decipher a restaurant menu, to to decode this tome <laughs> of, a, of a study that... Algernon, he co-authored, he co-authored the study and the guy just can't wrap his head around it. He's like, he doesn't deserve this promotion. I deserve it. And we have not seen Dr. Gallinger perform one successful operation. <laughs> and he just he feels has that really he owns great it. Hair. He does. Yes. Eric, and by the way, Eric Johnston, Eric Johnson is, is the best guy in the world. And he is the nicest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he knows that because he's this great looking blonde guy, he's the guy you love to hate on every show. And, and so one of the things that we, we sort of loved about, about Eric was that he embraced who this character was. This character is a white Protestant male in 1900s America. With all the privilege. With all mm-hmm. the privilege. And that's the thing. It's an entitlement society mm-hmm. where, where you've got this guy who comes from a good family. He's darn good looking. He's got the pretty wife. Mm-hmm. He's got all these wonderful things. And he expects, that you know, I'm sure you know. We, we that what he wants, he can have. There's, absolutely, and that he deserves to have whatever. Yeah, he wants. because absolutely. Why, why, why wouldn't he? There's never yeah. been an alternative example to that. Absolutely. And so when when Gallinger looks at this guy, and I and there's this little voice in the back of his head that's that's going to play out, which is, is this guy better than I am? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, right now he's 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 doing it on the grounds. He's arguing. He said to his wife on the grounds that that well, he's he's already taken too much without the merit to earn it. Right. And what. You know, and so far he hasn't proved himself to anybody. Mm-hmm. So Gallinger can still say sort of content in this idea of his superiority. I've been usurped, but only because of these circumstances. And this guy will be proven to be a fool. Right. And it, you know, the truth will win out. And the question is, will it? Mm-hmm. You know, or will this guy, will, 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 um, Algernon ever get a chance? 
well, to prove himself. It, it seems, at the very least, he's going to get an opportunity to uh, walk them through this procedure, this galvanic procedure, uh, in the next episode. And I love, I want to talk about this sequence in particular. So, uh, after he's opened this clinic and he's hired on these people, and I love this scene where he's hire on, hiring on his surgical nurse, and uh, she's sewed 200 stitches on this chicken skin, and a type of stitching that he had never considered for skin in the time it, he thought it would take to just just so a hundred uh and she's still like is that is that bad like is that not uh and he's like oh yeah you're you're hired yeah and she even like during the procedure she's like am i allowed to be doing this it's like you're allowed to do whatever you want i'm giving you permission to use your talent to help save a person yeah and yeah. and what, what we loved about that was when we were talking about it michael begler my my writing partner co-creator uh and i the thing that the thing that we kept talking about was the people have been sewing pillows a lot lo- longer than they've been sewing people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of the different ways of making pouches and making this and doing a this and this kind of the hunter's ligation and all that we that we had to learn about, you realize there have been a lot more advances in the last you know hundred years of of all these things. And I kept saying to myself, well, you've got a thousand seamstresses in a hundred factories all over New York doing all these different stitches and embroidery and all these other things. Why wouldn't they have a better solution to to to, to the problem that, that 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 you may that you may have? Yeah. And not to mention in the dark for twelve hours a day. Yes. You yes. know, in unbelievable circumstances at the time that would let kind of lend themselves to having an expertise to do the exact thing. Yeah, and yeah. to do it under pressure. Mm-hmm. And it's also about the ability to have the opportunity to execute that because you know Algernon gave her the time and the opportunity to do that, and it just shows that if all. of the African Americans at that time were given the chance to learn something or be educated. They could succeed in the world, and at that point, there they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Well, it was not a level playing field. And no, it as wasn't. soon as the the playing field is tipped in one direction, everybody else at the top goes. Well, but all the marbles are down there, mm-hmm. and so it is difficult. But one of the things that really kind of worked for the actors was um, Doctor Stanley Burns, who's our medical archivist, and he's our he's a physician and he's a surgeon, and and he has this incredible. Um, archive of of over a million photographs, so m- many one of a kind of this era, and of surgery and medicine. And he took them in and said, "Okay, guys, you have to learn to suture, but you have to learn to suture the way they did back then." Oh, wow. And so all the all of our all of our surgeons now know how to suture, and some do it better than others. And so when you look at the you know when 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 um, Andre uh, Holland, who plays Algernon, is looking at this woman and going, "Wow, I'm really impressed." It's also as impressed. Simply because he now knows how hard it is to suture. Yeah. Right. Because as an as an as as a human being, he now understands that this is really hard in a bloody field. That's you know. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really it's been a very cool experience for all the doctors, our, our doctors, because we show everything. Mm-hmm. So that when they're when they're when they're sewing, they have to sew. Yeah. Be, and they have to make it look right because. We're not we're not shooting from their from their midsection up with a bloody it's kind of a kind of a vague bloody thing below them. We are shooting the actual organ that that that, yeah. that Clive is holding up in front of the audience. They understand the magnitude of what they're doing and the the intense difficulty. Yeah. Um. So we have this uh this patient this uh this hernia patient uh come into the clinic and uh Algernon is detailing this uh this three layer suture process uh of his own design. Uh and it was actually the design of a Italian surgeon named Bassini, but we stole it and gave it to uh, to, to Algernon. Just fair. Yeah, you know, 
hey, you know, great minds think alike. He could have thought of it at the same time. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Had he been real. Had he been real, <laughs> he could have thought of it at the same time. Uh, and uh, he goes upstairs and he stops this woman with a food car. He's like, is that beef suet and rice gruel? May I have a bowl, please? And I'm like, it sounds so thoroughly unappealing. But <laughs> at the same time, it's like, okay, yeah, that's like perfect, you know, early morning food, especially for, for a patient. He tells this guy, you can't go to work. You need to stay in bed. You need to rest. You need to let this thing heal. And, of course, the guy doesn't listen because he can't lose his job. Uh, and so we have this uh, emergency on his hands, the first real emergency in this clinic. And we have uh, Dr. Edwards running through the hospital when he's supposed to only be doing these operations at night, running through the full hospital, trying not to get his hands uh, messy, trying to stay uh, sanitary as he walks right into the operating theater to grab things that he needs to sew this thing up in time. And uh, he's walking right past Dr. Thackeray, having a conversation with Dr. Thackeray. We're just like, get back there, get down there. Like it's, just, <laughs> it's so very, very intense. I love the sequence. And then to have him lose this patient and what it does to him is crushing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We want you know people keep coming up to me and going, "I thought that patient was going to live." Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you keep going, are you kidding? We open with the dead <laughs> yes. mother and the dead baby. Yeah. No one lives. Who lives in this show? Well, that's the fun of it. Is that on ER? It's always like I think we're. I think we. I think we. You know. You know. You know. Gosh, we're you losing know, him. We're losing him. We're losing him. Oh, good, he's alive. And what we loved about the opening uh, surgery, actually, and then I'll come back to Andre mm-hmm. um, and and the, that other surgery was that. When someone says we've lost the pulse, that's it. Yeah. There's no bring out the paddles, right. you know, the crash card, you know, you know, intubate them and, you know, and do this and give them, you know, a shot in their heart of, you know, adrenaline. adrenaline you yeah. know. There's none of that. There's, oh, the heart stopped? Well, we tried. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was this, this element that we wanted of this is all so new and, and it's so finite. There's no coming back from it. Nobody, nobody gets shocked back into life and, you know, when it's done, it's done, as opposed to every show you've seen prior where, Absolutely. you know, I don't care if it's emergency from the late 60s, early 70s, or, you know, they had those paddles and they were, they were charged, you know, charge, yeah. clear, bam. Everyone had at least one extra life. Yeah. What's <laughs> ironic is that a CPR only works 10% of the time, but according to television, it works 78% of the time. That's <laughs> and, hilarious. Uh, including the paddles. And so I love the realism that you're showing and in this in this episode and through the series of just like this is the harsh reality of life period let's not let's not sugarcoat winding up in a hospital is pretty much a death sentence yeah Yeah. and death was a part of daily life in the Mm -hmm. first shot of the show after Thackeray's coming coming to the Nick in a carriage we pass a dead horse in the street Mm -hmm. dead animals are a part of life in New York City Um, dead people are a part of life in New York City you did not have funeral homes you had you had the front parlor of your house that was kept for um, for doing important things like laying out a, a, a relative and having a, a service or a wake or, or a viewing or whatever. Only later did you have funeral parlors mm-hmm. that where you moved to someone else's parlor. And that was actually because um, uh, like Ladies Home Journal had said they wanted it to be a living room, not a room for death. 
So that's where the term living room comes from. Oh, huh. fascinating. Yeah, I know. Isn't that, yes. you learn so much when you do, I'm when you start sure. researching the show. And so they, so that's why they're called funeral parlors because they, they, they looked like homes and then they would, or funeral home. So they would replicate the idea of being in your own home uh-huh. without having to have the death. But that's when we started removing death from life. Hmm. And so death was a very real part of life. People died. You had eight children because four weren't going to make it. Right. People died in childbirth. If you had, you know, if if you had placenta previa, which is what kills the woman in the first episode, um, there there was no coming back from that. So that when Algernon is is running up and down the stairs, you know, first of all, there's a guy bleeding downstairs, yep. and you're going tick 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 there's tick. Not in your a head. lot of time, man. And yet he's running through. He has to make it look good for everybody. Like you know, I I'm running. Through, you know, there's a, there's a black man who's not allowed to pr- pr- really. Practice any medicine. Who's and suddenly he's got blood all, he's over, got his blood hands. all over his and hands? And no one's questioning him. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Again, going back to the invisibility. Yeah. 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 Yep. And so he runs in, and he and he reaches out and he puts it in his mouth to get this. <laughs> and he's standing there, and it's in his mouth. And 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 Thackeray just kind of casually looks at him and says, "Oh, by the way, we're going to do your surgery." He says, "Oh, great, I'll be doing the surgery." No, 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 Algernon, you'll just be talking us through it because you can't touch a patient. <laughs> I, I feel. Like, I love how this relates back to the circus. Yeah, how they keep calling it the circus. Like it really is. Mm-hmm. Everything about what he's going through, they don't even notice because of the circus that this hospital is in general. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he's the guy. You know what he is? He's the guy shoveling behind the elephant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't notice him. He's supposed to be invisible because his worth is not seen as equal. And what what we're sitting there going. You're so frustrated for him because you can see the brilliance, you can see the intelligence, and Andre himself is such a sharp guy that when you look into his eyes, you get this sense of like there's a guy who is just you know like the Terminator, mm-hmm. you know when you look mm-hmm. through his view and it would just be like just tons of data coming down <laughs> yeah. the, down the screen. Like with Andre, you think that you know there's all this data going on in his head, so he's this really bright guy. So that when he runs downstairs and he's you know and he and he's being taken out of you know this calm casual surgical remove and now he's just scrambling and he's and he's hoping that he's leaving him downstairs with with two with two washerwomen literally women who work in the laundry yeah and going i hope they've been sewing up while i've been upstairs getting you know silk and so that's been really lovely for us to be able to play all that fun stuff and to have this amazing set where we can run our guys through yeah and it the set really does feel like a hospital it doesn't feel like anything disjointed howard cummings who did our sets built a hospital it feels mm-hmm. so yes. incredibly real and it's it's a huge part i think of why the show is as successful on so many levels as it is is you have this incredible sense of place and it lends legitimacy to everything that you're trying to accomplish and it just feels effortless you know i have a lot of friends who are physicians mm-hmm. um because i happen to be a hebrew and um and all of none of them are are looking at me going i don't believe that i don't get that i don't believe that mm-hmm. they're all Fascinated, They're going, oh, my gosh, the only reason we know this is, you know, because these guys are like, well, we know that, we know that. I'm like, mm-hmm. the only reason you know that or you know how to do that or you know how to do an appendectomy is because for thousands of years people died and finally they learned how to use ether and they finally learned how to not give people infections mm-hmm. with filthy hands. And then somebody did a hundred of them and failed and then finally did one that kind of didn't fail and then did yeah. another one that – kind of didn't fail and then someone else down the street said oh how'd you do that okay I'll try my version yeah. and then suddenly people 
It was routine operation. Yeah. Someone finally decided that a gentleman's hands weren't always clean. Because <laughs> um, that used to be a thing. You know, a gentleman's hands are always clean. They wouldn't wash them. And th- and actually, the other part of it was that, that they took pride in mm. the smock they wore. It was almost an overcoat at how bloody it would be. Oh, good they God. were so yeah. proud of the blood and the guts and the gore and the goo that, you know, look how many surgeries I've done. Mm-hmm. You know, what they weren't to say. It's like is, medals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's not, look how many people I saved. No. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my success rate is fantastic. No, but my coat is filthy. Mm-hmm. So you know I must be good. <laughs> um, and it was only until a surgeon actually, uh, a guy in a hospital... Um, in Europe, a guy named Semmelweis, mm-hmm. he was in a in a hospital. What he found, what he kept saying was, "How come women who give birth at home don't die at the mm-hmm. same rate as women who give, give birth, birth in the, the hospital? hospital?" And what they found was, doctors would come with filthy hands. They'd feel how many centimeters, you know, dilated they were, or whatever, and they would have infections all over them. And this guy was begging people, "I think it's your wash your hands, wash your hands." So he went to one hospital and he kept standing there going okay doctor before you go in there wash your hands and he would force them to do it and they and almost out of out of out of stubbornness they go ah screw you mm-hmm. and they didn't want to do it and the man ended up going mad and ended up in a in wow. a in an, an asylum um unfortunately just because we have so much that we need no, to talk about yeah. i just want to move on sure you don't want to go into the 1820s of history <laughs> i mean i can do that as well we could do this for three hours i'm already <laughs> fascinated but i want to talk about uh the final scene with Algernon and um his uh his fighting background, because it seems that he's he's trained as a boxer as well as a doctor, and I feel like that informs as well his thinking and how he he tackles not only surgeries but this sort of ongoing struggle against uh, against institutionalized racism at the hospital, against Doctor Thackeray, you know, where it's just sort of like, okay, I can't go at you directly. But I can continue to focus on my own medicine, and I can make this happen. I can kind of, you know, I know that I can't be fired, necessarily, (laughs) because you need me for the Robertson's money. Uh, So I'm going to work over here, and I'm going to build up enough evidence that I am a great doctor, and I'm going to have so many uh, successes as a doctor that when I come back at you with this big, you know, like, jackhammer of a punch of all of these new inventions, all of this new incredible uh successes you have to take me seriously well you know he walks up to them and says well you're about to do a surgery that you know fails 100 percent of the 100 yeah. yeah. on, on, on a, an aortic aneurysm which is the descending um uh the descending uh vein or or uh artery and it's and it basically supplies the body and if it if it blows you know and so he says to them the thing you're going to do aneurysm morphy doesn't work. So in other words, you're going to try to cut it out and then take whatever's left and kind of sew it together, you know? And, you know, that's one way to do it. The other way he's saying is, well, we have something that actually might have worked. And they're going, yeah, that's lovely. That's great. I don't even know why you're here. Can you mm-hmm. go away, please? You're only here to keep the lights on and the lights aren't even staying on. So thank you yeah. very much. Get away. And where, where did, what do you do with that frustration? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. What do you do with rage? I mean, what happens to a dream deferred is the, mm-hmm. is the, is the quote that, 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 you know, from Langston Hughes that, that opens Raisin in the Sun. And I always think about that. What do you do with the rage and the anger and the, and the hurt and the, and the feelings of, of what happens when you're dismissed that much and people, mm-hmm. you know, and you just want to shake them and go, don't you see? Don't you see? Well, it's not that simple. People are wrapped up in their own hate and racism and need and insecurity and and so what happens to an on you know to to, to an Algernon 
when he can't express himself. And not only is he an outsider in the white world, mm -hmm. he's seen as, as uppity and an outsider in, in the black world. Mm -hmm. So here he is, he's living in a boarding house mm -hmm. with the cockroaches and, mm -hmm. and that he's got to wait online to use a bathroom that he you know, has rusty water and Everyone none hates him. And they look at him and go, well, look at you, Mr. Fancy. And he's going, Fancy, I live in the same damn place you do. Yeah. But still there's something a little apart about him. And then he goes to this hospital, you know, so he's accepted nowhere. Yeah, but he belongs nowhere. And that's that's the thing is that – and I grew up with a lot of kids who felt that way. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in New York City with kids who were sort of betwixt and between. They came from sort of rougher, tough neighborhoods, but they were able to go to these, you know, better schools. And so when they went back to their neighborhoods, they were treated – differently mm -hmm. and when they were and they felt that they were the other in their school environment so I, I think that we really wanted to explore that and my writing partner michael has a an african-american son um uh, whom he adopted from ethiopia and so michael's really fascinated by these ideas of what it is to be an african-american in american society mm -hmm. not just today but back then mm -hmm. and who who you are how you define yourself and um, how others define you and how you're beholden to that and so I think that when when we decided that he needed something and it was it was a later addition in in the show to come up with the idea of how Algernon it's got to go somewhere right where and, it all went his his outlet the so fighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah so when he you know he, when we came up with that we realized that's exactly what he would do. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that fire inside you? What do you do with that anger and hate and misery? And it's, you know, and the thing is, he takes it out on his own people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which you look at and you go, oh, my God. And I lived in L.A. during the riots. And I kept saying, why are they rioting in there? You know, mm -hmm. but it's 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 it, not as it turns inward, even though the the people who have in a lot of ways subjugated you aren't in your area, mm -hmm. you know, but for him. It's got to go somewhere, and it goes there. Yeah. I kind of also saw it as like a means of survival, because we know he's very book smart and intelligent also, but then who knows whoever, you know, could cause that violence, that racism towards him. You know, it's a way of protecting himself as well, not and defending, because the first few blows you saw him, he was, you know, defending himself. But yeah. then, obviously, an outlet for his rage as well. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting the way uh, Steven Soderbergh decided to shoot it. Mm -hmm. It was so yes, interesting it was because... It, it had a herky-jerky feel, but it also had a surreal feel. And I don't know if you've ever been in a fight, but it doesn't feel like, you know, like a bad, you know, Clint Eastwood, every which way mm -hmm. but loose kind of moment. It feels surreal because there's this sense of the adrenaline's flowing. You don't know what's going to happen. And you don't, and, and so, he's also blind drunk. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which often helps. I have to be 100% honest. <laughs> it may not help with your fighting acumen, but it right. certainly helps you to get the courage up to but do it. It's a really, uh, really startling scene, uh, the way that it's shot, and then also the way that it's edited, slowing it down to a moment, these freeze frames of just kind, uh, just kind of... Of, you're not quite entirely there. It's happening, but it's also not happening. The rest of the world fades, you know, mm -hmm. to just but a dull drone. And there's that parallel to Dr. Thackeray and his, the way he deals with loss. It's true. And mm -hmm. that's kind of what startled me the most because I see them as so opposing, you know, but they're really, every episode we learn kindreds. more and more that they're yeah. really very little uh, yeah. separates them. Okay. Um, we do have to move on. Please mm -hmm. just want to... Yeah, I can't believe I, I can't believe how much time you wasted with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing great. I was so brief and you were just... I know. Everywhere. Bubble, bubble, all bubble. over the place. So, uh, folks, before we move on, I just want to really quickly talk to you about iTunes. I really, really appreciate all of your support of the show. Uh, if you if you like this show, if you like any of the shows here on AfterBuzz TV, the best way to support us is 
is to go to iTunes, rate and review the shows that you watch or that you listen to. Uh, it really, really helps us out. It's how we're able to get great guests like Jack. It's how we're able to get sponsors that keep our doors open and our lights on. And it's also the best way for you to communicate with us and let us know that we're giving you the best possible Nick programming that you deserve and that you want. Because, of course, you want a great after show to go with such a great show. So let us know. Hit us up on iTunes. And you get a great shout-out here on the show. We have a wonderful review uh, from Eric464, a five-star review, the Nick After Buzz. After watching the first three episodes of this series, I am absolutely captivated by what I've seen. I'm so invested in Dr. Edwards and Cornelia Robertson's stories because I appreciate seeing what life is like for women and minorities, especially with the education and position these two are holding in society from that era and how they cope. My favorite aspect of the show, although difficult to watch, is seeing the preparations and procedures for practicing medicine. It's interesting to see what they considered innovative back then compared to what we are used to now. I enjoy the after show just as much. I've listened to these hosts from various other after shows, and they are reliably entertaining. Eric, wow. Thank you, Thank Eric. you Thank so you. much. I should probably tell you, my dad's name is Eric. Um, <laughs> 464. Um. Is that is that his uh, his given Hebrew name? Yes, 464. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, Ben 464. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David Ben 464. Yes. yes. Uh, okay, so uh, I want to talk about Dr. Thackeray and what he's dealing with in this episode. We introduce uh, his former lover, Abby, um, who now is uh, is riddled with syphilis. Uh, she's suffering. She's now she's lost her nose entirely. Um, and uh, I and think the it's apparatus. Yeah, the apparatus. Yeah, that's that's where it started. Mm-hmm. Um, we found a picture online of the apparatus. I think Michael Begler actually found the picture, and we were kind of we were reverse engineering there, going, okay, so why do they need glasses? Why do they? And we started thinking about, okay, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And we done a, I'd done a lot of research on sort of different methods of dealing with syphilis and how syphilis can, can, can affect your brain and how syphilis can... And so it just sort of fell into places because one of the things that when you read all the surgical papers from the era, and now I've read God knows how many, um, the thing they always say is their age, mm-hmm. if they're an alcoholic, and if they're syphilitic. Wow. And so that's... That's so, you know, Mr. Mr. Smith, he's 28 years old. He works on a sea ship. He's an alcoholic and he has, he's, has syphilis. And then they give you, oh, and he's suffering from malaria, whatever. And so for us, that was like when you realize how prevalent it was and you think to yourself, you know, there's a wonderful book um, called City of Vice and it's about um, Teddy Roosevelt trying to clean up 1895 New York. Mm-hmm. And one of the things this book talked about was that there were between 30 and 40,000 prostitutes in New York and that they did the math and figured that um, on any given day one out of every six men would have visited a prostitute. Wow. So you can only and, and prophylactics had existed but they weren't readily available. Mm-hmm. So we thought my gosh, you know, this doesn't just, you know, it's like when HIV first became a scourge, they said they called it the gay cancer and they mm-hmm. said it was only drug addicts and prostitutes and homosexuals and and I worked actually for AIDS Project Los Angeles and the first thing I I did was I started uh, becoming an educator and going to schools and saying you can all get this it's not it's a heterosexual homosexual drug use it's everyone's disease and so for me this idea that only bad people get this disease and this mm-hmm. was an era when people thought that you got sick because you had a weak constitution or that you were or that you weren't a decent human or that you had lacking in character or they thought poor people got sick Poor people got sick yeah. because they lived in crowded, clamped conditions with lots of other people as opposed to a big brownstone uptown. Yeah. This yeah. seems like this is also the genesis of the typhoid, typhoid. storyline. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. And so f- suddenly typhoid, which can move quickly through a tenement area, 
wait, rich people are getting it? Wait a second. Now mm-hmm. we have to look now at it. Now we need it. to investigate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, that's in, and that's what we sort of loved about it. But with the syphilis story, we thought, who would be the person – you know, it's one thing to say, okay, this person is ill, but it's certainly another thing to say this person is ill and they were once something to you. Mm-hmm. And then it's somebody who left you for someone else and they seemed like they were the right choice. Because Thackeray is 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 a circus ringmaster and you don't want to live in the circus anymore. No. This is a woman who just wanted a life. So she met a guy. She thought, okay, he loves me. He's a good guy. This is great. I won't have to live with the craziness. It was it was wonderful, but I can't do the crazy. I think it's like every woman ever dated Charlie Sheen. Right. You know, she's like, you know, he's good looking. He's, we had a good time, but now, oh my God, you know, I, how, many, how many times can this guy do blow off my stomach? You know? Right. So I think that for Thackeray, what we loved was this idea of this woman coming in and the actress Jennifer Farron came in. She's from Hell on Wheels and Mm -hmm. she is extraordinary and she brought so much heart to it. And Clive, you know, I I mean, I don't know how you felt, but when, when he removed the apparatus and, and Stephen had her in that, in that profile. profile, Yeah. And it's just, it doesn't compute for a second because there's no nose there. And so we, I just loved that. I thought that was the most mm-hmm. extraordinary thing in our, and our and he, effects guys did an extraordinary job. It's such a complex job for both of them, but especially for Clive, who has this, I think, immense joy at seeing this woman again, but then also, you know, knowing what's to come and then nothing can prepare him for the sight of it and trying not to show it, trying to have this bedside manner for someone that he cares about. It's a very delicate scene to play. And I think they just both did a tremendous job because it's weighted. Mm-hmm. You know, when you see an ex, you kind of wonder, well, could we ever do it again? Could we ever, you know, would, yeah. would you ever, you know, how do I look? How does she look? And, you know, I wonder, you know, and you always think, just, oh, I had sex with that person. And now yeah. there's something, she's she's poisoned mm-hmm. in a way. She's got this horrible disease. She will, you know, she's a carrier of this thing. There's no possibility of that. Yeah. And, and her shame is so incredibly prevalent. It's but kind there's of like also the karma element too, and it's hard because for syphilis at that time, you know, it it was a well known it was a well known thing, but penicillin was even wasn't even around for the treatment and whatnot, so no. it's hard. No, and and you were just lived with the ravages until it took you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so that's the that's the incredible thing that Thackeray's looking at, going, what is her future? What is her life? What is this? I mean, she's missing. She this whole, so what am I going to do? I'm going to throw this flap down on her face, and mm-hmm. and hopefully she's going to go through this painful procedure, which. I think that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's exactly what the procedure was, and it was invented in the, in the Middle Ages mm-hmm. because they needed to find a way to keep... The skin alive. To keep skin mm-hmm. alive to, so it would attach and then have its own blood vessels. And and so for us, that moment... And it's such a long scene. It's a, it's a We don't have scenes that long usually. Yeah. But it, it really was broken up into these pieces of her showing up, him examining her, and then her sitting down and and, and him explaining what this is. And one of the things I love about Clive is... That he's able to go from sort of, okay, I'm a little freaked, but I'm playing this off, mm-hmm. to, all right, I'll examine you. And he's, you can, and he even plays this sort of, I'm having a tough time with this. Even Thackeray can't, like, look at her. He has this wonderful moment where he looks at her and he goes, okay. And he tries <laughs> to move away because he can't handle the, the, the reality of this. And then he has to do this very hard thing, which is a page and a half of exposition. Mm-hmm. And we did him no favors because it is as difficult and thick exposition as a human being can do. And Clive makes it feel as if it's coming out of his mouth in the most natural way so that you're with it the whole time. 
sometimes you can give exp- exposition to people. Like Game of Thrones does a wonderful job of throwing naked people in the background, right? So that you sex can, position, sex position, <laughs> and so it's a real term. It's a real term, and they do a wonderful job of it because you're going, oh look, naked women. Oh really? What happened? Great. Okay, good. Okay. You know, okay, now I know who's who. What's going on? Yeah. But also, I saw boobs. Mm-hmm. Um, in our show, you know, we don't really do that. We're trying to sort of get away from the Skinamax thing. And so one of the things that happens is we sometimes give these really detailed things and we just have to hope that we can explain it without the audience going, okay, what else is on? And Clive yeah. does an extraordinary job of, of doing making that. it very compelling. Yeah. He does. Uh, another thing that's, that's really starting to develop, uh, for his character that I'm really, really interested in is this budding fascination, mutual fascination between, uh, Dr. Thackeray and Nurse Elkins. She's the first woman uh, I guess since Abby, first woman in a long time, or at least one that doesn't work in an opium den, who has peeked behind the curtain. She yeah. knows she knows his problem. She's keeping it a secret, and she's someone who still maintains this glimmer of hope, this positive mm-hmm. outlook that he. It's hard to maintain. He wants to move medicine forward, but when you're faced with that much death and you're pushed to to doing drugs every day just to be able to keep going. Mm-hmm. I love this one particular moment. It's a small one. It's after she kind of she uh, she says uh, after after the surgery, you know, like the 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 dim light line. Do you have it down on your nose? Uh, in the in the in the in the blackest darkness? Even a dim light is better than no light at all. Right. right. And he he asks who said that, and she said I did. And he smiles, and then it just kind of fades back into this numbness. There's there's almost like. There's a fascination and also a pity there, but to me, that's almost the moment where she becomes more than just a curiosity, and he's kind of envious that she still has that. And it's hard for her because she seems like somewhat naive in the medicine world. I mean, she's still learning everything, obviously, but she is, she has some life experience and she has a lot of wisdom that we just haven't explored yet with her character. Well, you have to ask yourself the question. You know, this was an era when immigrants were flowing into New York from from Ireland and Eastern Europe and Italy, and and you had African Americans coming up from the South who mm-hmm. were saying, "We got to get out of the South. We want a different life and a place where maybe we have a better shot." But you also had rural whites mm-hmm. who were coming to the big city for their first shot. They could now take a train to do it. They could see pictures of what the big city looked like. So it wasn't just this this abstract idea. And Lucy chose to come to New York. And so you have to ask yourself the question, the shy woman who is played wonderfully by um, oh, excuse me, um, is played wonderfully by um, Eve Hewson. And Eve does this thing where you know there's so much more going on beneath the surface, but right now she's just you know, she's kind of taking it all in. Mm-hmm. And what we you know, what we, we want to explore as we go on is that part of her that is looking at New York as this adventure. And we know, you, you sort of know that Bertie, Bertie is a... He fancies he her. He fancies her. And <laughs> Michael Angarano is so sweet. I just, you know, you're constantly tempted just to go, you have her go, okay, Michael Angarano, I love you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Go, get the girl. <laughs> you're good for me because you're mm. a sweet guy. Yeah. But, you know, for us, it's this, it's this dance of she has innocence and youth and, 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 you know, despite the fact that she's a bit, you know, introspective and, 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 and shy, she has a sense of the world as a good place that's worthy of adventure, that's worthy mm-hmm. of exploring. And so, you know, I think that takes him to a place of, wait a second, somebody has hope? Mm-hmm. I wonder if I can suck all the hope out of mm-hmm. her. He's, he, I see it happening, and I'm just I'm <laughs> so nervous because he's just, he's a vampire. He is. He just, is. He's going to suck the life out of her. If she lets him get too close, man, <laughs> yep. it's going to happen. 
Well, you don't know because there's also the sense of self-preservation in somebody like that. When mm-hmm. do you find out that it's 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 worth doing or not doing? Or when do you say, okay, I can't do this anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, and when do people, you know, wise up? When do they grow up? I mean, often you see that 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 May to September relationship. I mean, this era, you know, being 35 is December, but. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You know, you see that, that mismatched age relationship and the girl is, you know, just doe-eyed at this older man. He's a surgeon. He's a this, he's that. But there's also that moment where she says, wait, I've grown up too. I'm good. I'm, you know, so the question is when, when would she do that? When would she move on? When would she not? Hmm. Um, and how long do you hang on? Cause how many people do you know who've stayed in the wrong situation? Mm-hmm. And how many people do you know who've just moved on? Yeah. So that's what you're going to have to wait for. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about Mr. Barrow before we run out of time. Uh, we got to see more uh, of his plight this week. And as we said uh, when we spoke to Jeremy last week, we love watching him twist. Uh, he found some creative ways to pay back his debts, uh, namely <laughs> selling off the the bodies of the Nick to other hospitals that could pay more for them. Uh, and he, we learned where all his money's going. How did he build up this debt? He's got a thing uh, for a prostitute uh, named Junia. Yes. Um, which has not been revealed on the show, but you grace, graciously told us yes, about Yes, her name is Junia. At some point, you'll hear him yeah. say something like, you know Junia. Mm-hmm. And you go, oh, her name is Junia. Oh, her name is Junia. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, so it's not a spoiler. See, we really Don't developed her out. character by giving her the name. Yes, yes exactly. Uh, and he's, uh, we meet his wife, and we get a kind of a sense of why he's not happy in his marriage. There's got there's this very mismatched power dynamic where uh, his wife asks uh, asks for more than she really can have, and he gives it, and he digs himself into a hole, and then he escapes with this prostitute and digs himself further into the <laughs> hole, and then starts uh, uh, taking money from the hospital, digging himself further into the I was hole. Say everything he does is a deeper hole. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he just keeps digging. Mm-hmm. He just keeps digging. Um, it's so much fun to watch. What we loved, uh, what, what was really lovely about that scene in the office when Effie comes in mm-hmm. is that, first of all, Ellen Mirajnik, who's our uh, costume designer, you know, when we say, we have a line where... She's wearing our whole year's wages on her back. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nurse Baker says that, and and she looks, and it, she needed to look, I mean, even to my my eye, which I know nothing about fashion or clothing, as you can plainly see um, if you're watching the video... Um, but even to my eye, I go, even though some of these women are just unbelievably decked out, you know, Ellen took it to this other level with mm-hmm. Effie that you go, holy moly. And, mm-hmm. but this is what Barrow wanted from his life. He married supposedly above his station, mm-hmm. right? And you'll learn more about Barrow as time goes on and, and so forth. But she says, everyone of my class, you know, acted, mm-hmm. acted this kind and courteous. So she believes she's the prize in this relationship. Right. And he is no longer prizing her. In this, in this way, he's looking at her, you know, he, he's, he's trying to, he's, he's taking the thing when he prized her and gave her those earrings. He's taking those earrings and giving her the next thing he prizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as he says to Mulkeen, the, the, um, the electrical guy, when Mulkeen says, if you want me to fix the place up, you'll have to give me 900 or a thousand bucks. And he says, look, man, I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul and Peter still wants his money. And that's Barrow's life. It's okay, I can steal from you, but now I have to make it over here. And it's a Rube Goldberg for this guy. Yeah. And I love the way that the two of them played the, the Barrow's scene in the, in the room. And there was a thing, scene that was a thing at the tail end that was cut that, that I actually, I'm glad was cut, but it was this little moment, um, where she's walking out the door and 
she waits for him to give her a kiss, you know, and she he doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, there was a time hmm. when you would have, you know, you, you, you used to like when I, the way I kissed. And so there's a, there's a sadness in this relationship and, and we'll keep exploring it, um, over, over time, over the next couple of season, the next season. But, um, which has already been picked up, people. Yeah. Congratulations, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, and then he goes off and he's not a hero in his wife's eyes, but he can mm. be a hero in Junior's eyes. Mm-hmm. He's paying her for, for, for the same childlike innocence and, and, and awe that, that Thackeray gets a little bit from Nurse from, Elkins. From Nurse Elkins. Mm-hmm. And so you see Barrow needing to feel important. He's yeah. bragging to her from the minute we see her. You know, I, I, you know, it's Running a, life a hospital yeah. is yeah. difficult, you know, and she's like, you save exactly. lives. He's like, I do. And I she do knows how to play lives. her role. She mm-hmm. knows what she's doing. I mean, she's the the actress is actually much older than than she looks. Mm-hmm. So you know, she's a very wise. She's actually Rachel Corrine, and she's Harmony Corrine. If you know the director, oh, yeah. Harmony Corrine's um, wife, and she mm-hmm. is really lovely. And as you'll see as the season goes on, she is just this extraordinary little uh, actress who just fa- finds the right tone and the right way to play it. She's she's really good, and you'll see that relationship sort of move into different directions um, over over time. Um, but Barrow's needy. Yeah. Mm. No one in the hospital respects him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everyone walks all over him. And so for him, this is a big step up in the world and no one cares. Yeah. So here he found he's going to pay someone to care. Yeah. And it's uh, even, you know, Effie and the way that she treats him because she's like, hey, you could be more courteous. So she's very condescending towards him in that way, too. So it's just another element to him why he wants that superiority. She's still telling him to mind his manners. Yeah. You don't have, you know, you don't have manners. I have manners. You're uncouth. Aren't you lucky that I brought you up in the world? She's still reminding him of the things that she brings to the relationship because she wants to be valued by him and she knows she no longer is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, before we run out of time, I just want to talk about uh, Cornelia uh, and uh, I want to talk about typhoid. And I want to talk briefly about her relationship with her parents. We mentioned Philip, her fiance, yes. for the first time, uh, who is coming back to town. Aren't we excited? <laughs> yes, yes, you should be. Yeah, um, she's she is a girl who's caught between her desire to be a part of this hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, she does. I mean, in the first episode, you see her do this really difficult moment where she has to tell this girl to tell her mother, "You're going to die." Right. Yeah. And the girl says, "Well, I'm late for my shift," which is incredibly real for that era. Mm-hmm. And so she goes to this gut-wrenching stuff, and everybody thinks she's kind of just playing it. She's, like, playing at the hospital until, you know. And her father puts her in this role mm-hmm. as a buffer, really. Yeah. He's, he, she, you know. So that he doesn't proxy. have to deal with it. He's yeah. got enough proxy. to deal with. Absolutely. And so, and you know, so here she is, and she doesn't know how to be in this world because she's got this privilege of I'm wealthy, I'm the captain's daughter, you have to listen to me, but oh, by the way, in this society, as a woman, oh, you're not going to, you know, mm-hmm. when she walks into the, when she walks into the boardroom and they say, um, well, maybe we should adjourn until the captain can be here, she says, no, 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 um, we're going to go through this and, and you look at her and you go, oh man, what a world we live in that, that she could be terrific, but She's but going no to be married gonna... off to Philip. Well, it's the same. It's the line from last week. You know, mm-hmm. had you been born a man, you would be owning this city. Yeah. I, I, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. No, I, I wish I'd written it that way. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. Ah, well, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, she now has this personal mission, this mystery to solve. Uh, and she gets involved with Spate, who is just so 
disgustingly grimy, and I love him for it um, because he just has so much relish for the amount of power in his station, uh, and he's trying to kind of fob her off, and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't think you realize who you are and where you're about to go. Mm-hmm. You are about to upset, upset people with a capital P. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. You need someone like me to get through the door. Yeah, yeah I, I'll vouch for you. She's a she's that's her that's her gig. She's she mm-hmm. she says I will vouch for you once you get in that door. And what she's saying is, I'm, I'll help you. Mm-hmm. And in her mind, she's she's a little bit like Effie Barrow saying, "Let me help help you deal with the you know." And and he, you know, in this era, health inspectors really had had become n- not famous, but they'd become renowned mm-hmm. in a way because. Mm-hmm. There had been this era where they understood germs, and so you know you had livestock in the city, so they had to figure out how to keep the food supply safe. They they had to deal with all these diseases and these outbreaks, and so the newspapers would cover these things breathlessly. And so health inspectors became sort of heroic in this era. And this guy's very proud of his station. He's very proud of where he's gotten, and he's walking around, and here's this haughty lady mm-hmm. saying, "No, no, let me help you with." And so it, it, you really see entitlement. Versus entitlement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's two pieces that are right now grinding against each other. Or perhaps entitlement versus corruption a yeah. little bit. Well, everyone's corrupt. Nobody's yeah. ferreting it out. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have the you have the press. They're really not doing much of a job of it. The police consider being crooked just a part of the job. Mm-hmm. There is yeah. no level of professionalism where no one is expected not to take a bribe. Mm-hmm. Um Barrow's taking bribes. Mm-hmm. Everyone's taking bribes. Everyone's paying each to. other out. Yeah. 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 I but mean... It, I, you brought me to be here, and I was so grateful. <laughs> yeah. um, I, like I can't believe I get an afterbuzz mug. This is fantastic. <laughs> I feel like the difference between Cornelia and Spate is that Spate, he has power, and he's using it in the wrong way. But Cornelia, she has power, and she's using it in the correct way. She gen- It seems like she genuinely cares about people's well-being and their health, and and she's going about it the nicer way to approach and how to fix and how to you know alleviate everything. And yet with all her power, all the things at her disposal in this society, she's a rich white lady and in that mm-hmm. era they were all you know, a lot of them went downtown to crusade she's still kind of she you shunned. know yeah. yeah shunned to the side it was like look lady you're you're out of your depth here and what mm-hmm. they don't realize is that the, the depth of things that she does do yeah and so uh juliet rylance plays it really really nicely against david fierro who's you know who's kind of like this uncouth guy and she's saying and she's saying value me Mm-hmm. You know, give me give me a purpose. It's that kind of sense and sensibility moment where where you know the the girl he loves is sick, and he says, "Give me an occupation, I'll go mad." And she's basically saying, "Let me help. Let me do something. This is the world I know. Let me give me a shot to let me have yeah. purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me matter. Can yeah. I matter today, tomorrow?" And yeah. Algernon Algernon knows what that feels like. That's yep. for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, we we are running out of time, so it's time to go into predictions. Oh, there's predictions. You predict oh, yeah. things. Yeah. This is lovely. Yeah. yeah, lovely. And now we can watch your face. And oh, we can, oh yeah. We get special lights and everything. It's a big production. Oh my god. Are you th- summarily impressed? I'm so glad I used deodorant today. <laughs> um, okay. So what what do we think is happening next week? Obviously, we have this uh, this galvanic procedure that Algernon can only advise in, but cannot participate in. Uh, you know, I, obviously, I've watched. I've watched ahead. I've seen the screener, I've so also I'm gonna. Watched ahead. I'm gonna bow out. So, Marissa, what do you think is gonna go on? with Well, this? we know that Gallinger refusingly, begrudgingly accepts the fact that Edwards has to help him. But I think after this procedure that's gonna go on in next week's episode, he's gonna come around and he's gonna be more open to Edwards and actually probably might 
form this mutual relationship and work in the work area. So I think Gallinger is going to be more open to Edwards, and they're mm. going to be working more together in the future. But I still think uh, Thackeray is still going to be butting heads with Edwards. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Yeah, I have seen the next episode, but I am very curious about the fiance of yeah. Cornelia and. It's we've seen her as this independent woman so far, so I'm really curious just to see how as how, the season plays out, how is she managing this relationship? Is this someone she actually loves? Has this been kind of arranged? I can't imagine that in a marriage she would be allowed to have the kind of perceived power she has right now. So yeah. I'm really curious to see how that unfolds. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm also just very curious to see her uh, deal with someone who, in their mind has power over her, mm-hmm. makes decisions for her, kind of like is supposed to be guiding her the same way that white people are supposedly guiding uh, black people in this city. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be very, very fascinating. I am very curious to see how the the relationships between Dr. Thackeray and Abby and Nurse Elkins continue to develop over mm-hmm. the course of the season. Abby, of course, is going to be recovering from the surgery for a while, but eventually, maybe hopefully by the end of the season, we see her uh, fully healed and what that what that looks like um yeah i also i don't know man he got has, has anyone ever said oh yeah you're right <laughs> you know <laughs> or no no absolutely not you know during what? has anyone slipped and been like oh wow yeah that's what we do yeah uh, uh i don't know not it's been really a while yeah. it's been a while since someone's done that uh specifically okay yeah i'd have to think back but yeah. it's possible can't believe uh, none of you thought of nuclear war as a possibility for, <laughs> for, for the 1900 the yeah yeah well i mean alternative history is always a lot of fun <laughs> uh okay i want to thank you jack for joining us we really really appreciate oh, i'm it. Yes. so happy that you guys like the show and that people are interested and i'm inordinately grateful for all of this well fantastic we really appreciate you having here having you here and uh we really had a great time uh do you have a a, a twitter that people can yeah, I'm at Jack, J-A-C-K-A-M-I-E-L. That's it. And I live tweet the show. Okay. Um, so, you know, follow me. And people have really been loving the live tweeting because I sort of slip up and give you way too much information. <laughs> <laughs> so people are like, really? That's going to happen? And I even got an email um, uh, from Soderbergh the other day going, hey, you got that wrong. I'm like, you're following me? And I'm, he's like, well, you got some stuff wrong. <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, so please follow me at Jack Amiel, A-M-I-E-L. And um, I, I'm actually enjoying the live tweeting because – so much goes into the the background and the fa- and the facts and the not facts and all that stuff that people and people ask me questions and I answer them. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Great. That way I can ignore my children even more than I currently do. <laughs> now, great. you won't be That's live great. tweeting this Friday because we're taking a break. That's yes. correct? Okay. Taking a week yes. off because of Labor Day weekend. Okay. So episode four mm-hmm. will take place um, the Friday after this one. Okay. So the first Friday of September. Yes. yes. Okay. Uh, folks, I want to thank you so much for downloading, watching, listening, streaming. It's been a real pleasure having you here with us. We will be back not this coming Monday, but the Monday after. Uh, we really, really appreciate your patience. And uh, please continue to send your reviews and your ratings to iTunes. It really helps us out. Marissa Serafini, where can the people find you? Everyone can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Serafini TV. Okay, and Oriana? I'm at Miss Oriana Leo on Twitter. Please tweet me. Uh, Instagram, Oriana Leo. And you can find me on The Killing After Show as well. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Lieberman. That's M-A-T-T-L-I-E-B-E-R-M-A-N. You can also find all my videos for SourceFed and SourceFed Nerd on YouTube. I'm also here on uh, AfterBuzz TV doing Ray Donovan, The Strain, Under the Dome, uh, and Doctor Who, among other things. Uh, so, folks, thank you so much. We'll see you in two weeks. Good night. 
from executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff. We would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.